Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And this is Keith Johnston. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by Vice President and Principal Analyst James McQuivy and Analyst Jonathan Roberts to discuss how the pandemic and the future of work is impacting employee wellness trends. Welcome both. Thank you. Good to be here. So let's start with, I mean, what do we what do we mean exactly when we say employee wellness? I imagine that could mean a lot of things um, to a lot of different people. So what is what is that? Sure. So what we really mean when we are talking about wellness and then kind of one click above that well-being is kind of how well whole complete is someone in one of the particular dimensions of wellness that we talk about here when we discuss employee wellness. Those dimensions, and if I can take a, a, just a minute so that we're super clear what we're talking about, those dimensions fall into three categories for us here at Forrester. Um, we're talking about the individual wellness space, um, the environmental wellness space, and then a, kind of a contextual wellness space, right? So to dive into what those are, we're talking about specifically physical, emotional, and psychological wellness, right, as the individual space. We're talking about social, occupational, and spatial is the environmental bucket. And then we're talking about financial and, believe it or not, spiritual in the contextual bucket. So that is what we mean when we are talking about wellness. And then when we look at all of it together, that is employee well-being, right? And that has more to do with the essence of an employee, let's say. Um, so we look at all those things in, in in combination. I would just add there's something to to mentally go through as an executive or a leader, which is the shift to what Jonathan is talking about, which is very comprehensive, away from what we might have thought when we said employee wellness in the past, which was, oh, we have a gym. We have, you know, we reimburse your membership at, you know, the YMCA or whatever it is. Um, and maybe we, of course, include our health benefits and we're done at that point. So, you know, we're trying to suggest, and I think with some really solid evidence, that wellness is a bigger thing than that. And I believe the pandemic backs us up, that we understand that the pandemic brought wellness to the fore in a way that we don't believe is going away. So the pandemic did bring it to the fore, James, and it certainly expanded our view on what we believe wellness is or what it's not. Um, but uh, in your research, you specifically say that, you know, there are view on wellness has permanently changed. And we even go as far as say that, you know, employers are going to have to be held accountable for uh, wellness at this larger scale. Um, is that really true? Hmm. I, I'll offer a thought. I know Jonathan has a lot deeper thoughts on this, but it, it is if we're at least saying your employees are going to look at what you do for them differently than they ever have in the past. So held accountable by employees making decisions. And we're in the middle of an of a new epidemic of resignations coming out of the pandemic where people are saying, you know, is the company that I work for really doing it for me? And if the answer is no, people are walking away at a higher rate than they ever have. Well, not ever, but in, in, in our recent past. So yes, they're held accountable, at least in that respect. Does that mean that there are other forces that will try to hold them accountable, government and so on? I don't know, uh, but I think it's enough to know that your employees and probably the ones with the most leverage will be holding you accountable. 
I'd like to add, we get this question a lot, right? It is um, a lot of organizations saying, hey, do we have to? And on the surface, the answer is no, of course. But I think it's the wrong question to ask. Uh, looking at the research and looking at a lot of different forces that are converging right now, right? And if you look at the space we're in, we're kind of in this unprecedented space where we are dealing with the pandemic and the post-pandemic, what we are, are coining as, as kind of aftershock. Um, and then we are also kind of co-creating as we speak the future of work, right? And, and, and our perspective on the future of work is this idea where organizations kind of now have to be more creative, more adaptive, um, and more resilient than ever before. And then the third uh, kind of force that we're dealing with is this kind of employee power and choice kind of space. And they're all converging right now to this moment where it's not so much that organizations have to do this. The question really then becomes, well, can I afford not to? Can I afford not to invest in a space um, that kind of approaches this with intentionality to say, you know, we're asking our employees to do something a little bit different. We're asking our employees to do something and some things that they really need to be okay first in order to do consistently and optimally, right? Creativity does not just happen. You, there is a baseline of being okay and being well and, and, and having energy to be able to be collaborative, to be creative, to approach change with, with kind of positive curiosity, um, you know? And so all of that kind of can't happen if we're struggling, if we are burnt out, if we are sick every other week, if we are stressed about childcare or personal finances, right? So, so it's, it's less about do we have to, and it's more about what happens if we don't. So what I'm wondering is when employers stop piercing into their employees' living room when we get out of this pandemic, will this heightened awareness of wellness stay where it is? What are the things that we've learned by elevating the conversation around employee wellness that are definitely going to stay with us? What are employers going to do? Sure. Well, so first of all, we have to kind of consider that with the rise of anywhere work, we are not returning back to what our normal was before 100%. So sure, people will be in the office more, but you know, many organizations are, are still kind of pursuing a hybrid model um, in which we're not going to you know, stop piercing into each other's living rooms uh, completely for a while, if ever, right? This whole idea that work and life and home are now conjoined in a way that we won't be able to sever is kind of where we are. Um, and that flexibility is kind of part of the future of work, this kind of hybrid mode of working. So what, what have we learned, right, to answer your question with this kind of heightened awareness of wellness and well-being? Well, we know that when employees are more well, their energy and what they bring to work is kind of drastically affected. We know that how they work is kind of drastically impacted. And we know how they perceive their work in the organizations are also positively impacted on kind of all fronts. Um, now that the conversation is here and sitting on everyone's desk, the benefits are, are, are pretty clear. So no, I don't think that we're gonna kind of regress back to the checkbox method of wellness that we were um, employing before. 
Can I pull on one of those things that Jonathan brought up? Because yeah, that, that idea that the perceptions of where you work change depending on how well you feel is sort of subtly powerful. And I, so I want to I pull it out because one of the things we found in our data is that if you are more well, and it's how we measure that is, is kind of complicated, but, but very reliable. If you are more well in your work environment, you have more trust in your manager you're more likely to believe the direction that the leaders of the organization are trying to take the organization. I mean, think about how important those things are as leaders today are trying to navigate all kinds of change, not just the emergence from the pandemic, but every other innovation they're going to need to accomplish for the next one, two, five years. If their employees have a heightened degree of confidence in them and trust in them, which comes from them being in a mental place where they can see what's being done, get behind it, find a path for how they're going to be a part of it. That means their their innovation capacity is now significantly higher. You know, Jonathan before was saying, you know, what happens if we don't do this? And I almost want to flip it around and say, wow, what cool things happen if we do? Are we seeing effects of that, right, of, of companies investing here in employee, you know, health and wellness and already seeing sort of that flywheel of benefit that you're pointing to, James? Well, in the data, we see it uh, an aggregate in that we can see all the relationships between someone who you know, meets our criteria for being well, and then they describe their work environment, they describe the benefits of their work environment, they describe how the work is being done in terms of its customer obsession level, how customer obsessed they are, the specific way they implement customer obsession, how rap. So at least from the per perception and activity of the employee themselves, we're seeing that. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be curious whether Jonathan in his conversation with clients is seeing specific clients at a, at a single client basis who are saying, yes, we've done this and wow. I hear it all the time, right? That is why, you know, I'm, I'm kind of happy to kind of evangelize in this space because it is shocking the kinds of results that I'm hearing kind of in a, on a kind of an anecdotal basis uh, from some of the clients that we speak to. So for instance, last week I was speaking with a software organization out in, or at least the, the, the group, uh, the leader that I was speaking to was out in Singapore. And um, they heard through their listening methods that their employees were kind of burning out and they were dealing with screen fatigue and they were kind of in these back-to-back -back meetings um, and they were kind of running out of resources, right, to approach their work with. And um, and so they, they implemented an initiative, a company-wide called the Walk and Talk Initiative, where employees were encouraged to take internal meetings as they were walking outside, okay? So turn off your computer, call into a meeting um, and just be outside. You can be on FaceTime, you can, you know, Teams app or, or WebEx app so that you can kind of show that you're outside and, hey, look, there's a pond and a duck. And um, just a small change like that, more collaboration, more kind of creative ideas, more energy, both for the internal meetings, but also for client-facing meetings. People were excited now to collaborate and have kind of brainstorming sessions because they could go do it sitting, looking at a body of water or things like that, right? So um, kind of big and small, and the investments are happening all over the place, right? There are tools that can help with this. We are looking at kind of training and coaching for leaders. We're looking at initiatives like this. You can kind of affect the space in a lot of different ways. Um, so yes, we are definitely, definitely seeing the impact of this in real time. So I can wrap my head around the, 
the physical or the the space, as you say, you know, even operational things that that employers are getting more involved in. But um, you know, both of you also said is that you know we're going to be more engaged in our employees' uh, emotional health and wellness. Um, what does that look like? Because there feels like there's a line that could be crossed in that space. Yeah, I, I want to raise the red flag because. Our challenge in writing about this is saying, obviously, if you can contribute to the emotional well-being of your your workers, your employees, your team, that they will have more to give you. They'll be uh, you know happier and more satisfied at work. All of which we can show in the data. But obviously, their emotional well-being is theirs. You know, they own it, and that is a private space, if we want to call it that. And so we at no point do we want to say, OK, get in there, you know, pull a, a Henry Ford from the 1920s <laughs> and go in and, you know, check on people's daily lives and their emotional status. We, we don't want that. But there but there can be ways to approach people, to message people that we do care about that part of their lives and they own it and it's up to them. But here are some resources and here are some of the benefits that we hope they will seek. Yeah. And additionally, training people leaders to allow space for this, you would be super surprised to know the impact of just a, a weekly standup that starts with, you know, how you guys doing? You know, and, and I was speaking with an executive um, of an airline and she, during the pandemic, and it's something that she um, will continue to do, she starts her meetings leading with vulnerability and she says, hey, I'm struggling this week. Right. And we're going to kind of tackle our projects and we're going to do this. But I want you guys to know I had a tough weekend, but here I am. Right. Just something like that and kind of allowing her team and allowing her employees to not be OK does a lot for the emotional and kind of mental health space. It's not her having one on ones about depression. She's not qualified and she won't. But it really is showing that she cares, creating space for humans to be human as we approach the work together. So James, I'm gonna ask you the question um, about employee power because this feels like one more thing that kind of goes into that force that we talk about within the future of work. Employees um, are gonna be the driving force around a lot of this health and wellness conversation and the programs are in put in place. Um, put that in the context for us a little bit. Well, one of the four major forces for the future of work that we have our eyes on, in addition to the kind of external shocks that we are seeing, uh, such as the pandemic, is just the rise of employee power. And, and we see it in so many dimensions, a place where employees basically have the information access and the tools that allow them to essentially balance out the power equation between them and the employer. And that can be unionization, maybe in a traditional sense, but it really can just be me showing up at work armed with information on Glassdoor or comparative salaries and me saying, this is what I want for my relationship with my employer. And that power is also present in this environment because more and more people are going to be reading about the health and wellness benefits of other people in their same industry or in adjacent industries. And they're going to say, why don't we have that? It seems easy enough to do. And why can't I get that? So yes, it is part of employee power. And that's 
whether you think that's a good or a bad thing, doesn't matter. Employee power just is at this point and probably going to continue to increase, especially as we're coming out of the pandemic and employees, certain types of employees especially, have more choices in front of them. I love this idea of more leadership training, uh, development of the soft skills uh, in this space. I have a sneaky suspicion that somebody's going to want to try and play, apply technology to this space, much like we've applied technology to employee performance. Um, would either of you want to talk about that, where you think it might be going or where it shouldn't go? Well, I, I'll start with the where it shouldn't go. I know Jonathan has his finger on the pulse of, of where it is going. Uh, every time we get a technology, the first thing we do is say, oh, we can measure that. And we end up measuring the wrong thing or an oversimplified version of the thing. I mean, you, you brought up performance and, and that's one of those areas like, oh, we can measure when someone logged in. Great. Now we know whether you're a good employee or not by what time of day you logged in or out. And of course, there's no relationship there and it's also easy to fake and so on and so on. So what we would hope is that, yes, there are already tools being developed that try to discern someone's emotional state, emotional well-being from the way they interact with the tools, from the way they walk down the hallway at work and so on. And the real question is, is measuring those external signs going to yield a recommendation for how to work with that employee that benefits them? And if you don't know the answer to that question, you just sort of hope it will, uh, it's a good thing to back away. <laughs> let's, let's find the things that we can measure using technology that we know will lead to an improvement we can recommend or, or alter in the way we operate. If we don't know what we're going to do with that information, this is one of those areas. And, and people who have any experience with me know I love to measure stuff. But in this case, this is one that we probably want to avoid measuring because let's just be honest, the worst case scenario is there's some executive who's like, boy, I want to go through and eliminate the 10% of people who are the saddest at work because the data <laughs> say that sad people don't perform well. Okay, that would be absolutely, probably ethically wrong, but also a misunderstanding of yeah. what's happening in people's lives. 100% agree with that. It is a slippery slope if handled incorrectly. However, it can really help if handled the right way, right? So um, some of the kind of major buckets we're seeing here um, in terms of where, where technology is headed um, and how it's helping in this space are things like listening, right? We are kind of past the days where your annual survey tells you everything you need to know about a workforce, um, we know that things change too frequently for that. And um, we also know how people feel about surveys, right? So that is no longer the best way to do this. We have a lot of technology that takes listening um, and comprehensive listening very, very seriously. So we have things like crowdsourced thought software. We have pulse surveys. We have ways to embed signaling surveys within, you know, either the CRM or the communication platforms and things like that. So one of the major trends that we're seeing is this idea where we're thinking about ways to bring in wellness and integrate it into someone's actual work day, right? Wellness had such low participation in the past because it was always kind of kept in the back closet of HR a little bit. And it was so, so far outside of your, your normal work day that it just seemed like hypocrisy. Right. It seemed like from the same source where your burnout is coming from, there is this very weak solution that comes out twice a year and your manager 
doesn't even kind of support your pursuit in that space. So what technology is, is just trying to do is uh, things like, you know, benefit hubs, let's say, or wellness hubs, where they will bring together all of the options that you have as an employee into kind of one single pane of glass where you can see what your health care plan offers, but you can also see um, kind of social wellness resources. You have recognition functions. You can donate and volunteer. You can get uh, mental health resources if you need it. There is a financial uh, advisor there to help with financial wellness, and and it's all in one place. Um, And we're really seeing a lot of promising um, utilization rates with with things that make this easier for employees and that don't sit so far outside of an employee's kind of day. So Jonathan, all that stuff is really great. And actually, when we started this conversation, we said that uh, employees are going to be more accountable for these kind of programs and we need to up our game on leadership and be you know, very aware of how, about health and wellness. But this is one of those topics where I really believe that personal accountability has to come into play. Personal responsibility for learning how to communicate your needs to your employee. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, What does the employee do to make sure that they're uh, putting some care and feeding to what they need? Sure. And and to James's point, we're not kind of explicitly talking about organizations that are gyms or churches or spas, right? These organizations don't own this space for anyone. It is owned and driven and pursued by the employee, full stop, 100%. Um, but the options have to be there. They have to be the right kind of offerings. They have to be easy to find. They have to be easy to find and accessible and easy to use. Um, I mean, how and- many of us, honestly, I'll say, sorry for the interruption. Sure. How many of us, honestly, have gone through the process of downloading that form that we're supposed to, you know, fax to get the reimbursement for our YMCA membership? So let's just be honest about that. That's not wellness. That is not wellness. That's frustration, right? And, and, and then the last piece, though, the space has to be created. It's not enough that these things exist in the ether. This has to be supported by your boss, the executives in the organization. This has to be a part of the language and the culture. It doesn't work if it's not. Yeah, so we need a culture that's going to be an open dialogue around these topics, right? Yeah, well, and training, right? Like you can't expect, you know, a middle management to no, be yeah. well-versed in how to broach these topics and not cross a line to Keith's yep. point. Like it's... That's a very fine line to make sure that you're not making, you know, your team uncomfortable, too, in bringing up certain topics. Imagine a world where some of this technology we talked about before finally starts to come together. And Jonathan described it nicely. He said it was a single pane of glass through which you could see all of your options. But what you really want is that pane of glass that only tell you what you know, your options are, but which ones someone like you has benefited from the most, you know, very tailored so that it says these are the three lowest hanging fruit for you personally, based on what the AI has anonymously learned about you, right? Rather than your manager recommends A, B, and C, it's the AI has looked across our 10,000, 20,000 employees. And we've seen that these kinds of things are low hanging fruit for you and your type of, of person and your approach and so on. That would be amazing. Now, imagine if the manager, had the ability to say, hey, here's a recommendation for you, manager, about topics to bring up. Don't call this out. Don't mention this about person Y. (laughs) But in your next team meeting, ask this question. Point out this resource. I mean, 
yes, I'm dreaming a little bit here and saying that we have these amazingly intelligent dashboards, but these dashboards will be built. It's just a question of whether they'll be built with improving actual wellness in mind. So uh, we've talked about a lot of things here. Uh, I wanted to just you know make it clear to you know, our audience is that you know the pandemic um, kind of thrust this entire subject um, out in the open. Uh, you know, and it also has given us an opportunity to, you know, to grab some takeaways because we, we have been piercing into people's uh, homes. We have uh, probably been closer, even though we've all been apart in the work, uh, in the work uh, lives. So what are some of the takeaways from the pandemic that are actually going to be carried forward uh, that aren't going to go back to a normal? Sure. Well, well, one, we were kind of touching on before, which is the roles that non-HR folks play in this space mm. is going to be changing and evolving in a way that we haven't seen before. So it will require training, right? Really understanding who your employees are and being able to kind of coach through, yes, the work, but also a lot of other places and spaces. So bringing this out of kind of the back corners of HR and integrating this into the culture, into, um, you know, the processes of work, into the language, into all different uh, kind of altitudes within the organization is going to be a big kind of part of how this is successful or why this fails. So you're suggesting these health and wellness, these programs, just the culture created around this topic, um, you know, shouldn't be completely owned by HR. And uh, I think uh, we've talked at length how just employee experience overall uh, is more than just an HR function. So let's look at the companies that just aren't that mature when it comes to these programs. If it doesn't live in HR, where does it live? And what are a couple of first steps? Sure. I think really the first step, because you really shouldn't be doing anything without hearing from your workforce. We've been making a lot of decisions in the past um, just by gut feel and whatever's cheapest, right? And, and whatever gives us the biggest discount on our, uh, on our healthcare for our employees. But really, I think building out a, a strong listening function should be kind of the first place an organization invests in order to hear from their employees and get closer to the issues that they're trying to support their employees in. It's different for every single workforce. So when a client says, hey, you know, what should we, what, what kind of offerings uh, should we, should we, should we provide for our, our workforce? I can never answer that question. Um, I shouldn't be able to, I don't know your workforce, right? And if I did, that would be, um, I would be doing them a, a disservice. So the first step is really to establish a listening function that allows for um, decision makers to get pretty close to the ways that their organization needs to uh, needs to be supported. That's one. Two, wellness and well-being right now is a buzzword, right? This is the innovation word that was like last year and two years ago where everyone was talking about innovation. And then we saw all of these modules and, 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 and themes and efforts pop up amongst the vendor landscape, right? So in choosing partners in this space, you want to make sure that the, uh, the partners that you're, you're choosing to invest in and with also approach this strategically in the same way that you are and that are not just throwing wellness as a word on a module because that will quickly fade when we start to see some of this consolidation and we, try to, we start to see where the market is heading. 
Let's just say, Jonathan, you're not saying this uh, hypothetically. We are seeing this. <laughs> Vendors are now saying, oh, this is our wellness module. This is our well-being approach. And they yet haven't changed the product <laughs> at this point. So, yes, uh, part of what we're going to try to figure out and what Jonathan will have on his to-do list is who's really changing the way they bring their software as a solution to market so that it actually helps with this as opposed to saying that it helps. 100%. That's exactly what we're seeing. And the last thing I would mention is more of a mindset shift thing. I've been getting a lot of questions about how we measure this, how we measure that our wellness investment is working. And, and certainly, you know, there are ways to measure um, the impacts of, of wellness in certain initiatives. There are ways to look at Utilization. There are ways to look at um, decreasing healthcare costs or time out of the office. There's a lot of different ways to look at this. However, looking at this using kind of those kinds of metrics will not actually give you the full benefit and the full impact of an investment in wellness. It simply won't. It can't. This is too exponential, right? Because the benefits of an investment in wellness kind of reach way beyond what utilization might tell you. So, you know, I liken this to a wave. You can measure how high a wave is. You can predict where it will crest. You can, uh, you can kind of anticipate where it will hit the land. And all that is well and good. But really, the only two people that understand the true impact of a wave is the person that's riding on top of it or the person that is getting crushed beneath it. Right. That is how you really, really understand what a wave is and what the impact is. This is the same exact thing. When you are benefiting from wellness and your organization is well, there are exponential and far reaching impacts of it. And then if you can recognize that your workforce is not well, that is something that you will feel in a different way exponentially because it touches everything. Thank you both for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It was great to be here. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks, everyone. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.